I am Consciously Curious, a podcast for those that are searching for a career or cultivating meaning within their own space. We've had anesthesia providers to barbers, dog behaviors to airline pilots, white collar to blue collar, entrepreneurs to passion projects. Life's too short to not produce meaningful work. Join me, Victor Chan, as we deep dive within various industries. I'd love to hear your feedback, so feel free to leave a comment. I hope you find some value within these conversations, but more importantly, I hope it sparks a meaning within your own space. In this episode, we dive into physical and occupational therapy in the school setting with mother-daughter duo, Nancy Crivellone and Catherine Dale. They provide the skills and tools to bring kids with disabilities up to speed as well as educate the public on destigmatizing disabilities. They recently wrote a book called What's Wrong With You? The link is in the description. I'll see you in the episode. For those that are just listening and not watching, can you give a brief intro to like so they can connect the voice to who's who? Absolutely. I'm Catherine. Catherine Crivellone Dale, like you said, I am the occupational therapist. Mm-hmm. The voice behind the occupational therapist. <laughs> <laughs> and I am Nancy Crivellone. I am the physical therapist, and I am also Catherine Dale's mother. Hey, <laughs> dynamic yes. duo. Yeah. Um, and how long have you both been practicing in your respective spaces? I've been a physical therapist for 32 years. Okay, we got some authority <laughs> in the room right here. Yes, <laughs> I can't even believe it myself, but yes, yes. And I, this will be going into my fifth year for practicing occupational okay. therapy. I graduated in December of 2015 Okay. and started working in a school-based setting in May of 2016. Great. And, and you're both in the school setting? Yes, okay. yes. Okay, okay. Um, Nancy, have you been in other settings? I have been in other settings. Like hospital settings? Yes, yes. I started out in acute care, uh, which I loved. I've always loved being a physical therapist. I've always loved working with people. And then after my daughter was born, Catherine Dale, then I went, I had to work just weekends for a while. So I went Mm. into rehab for several years. And then when she became a school age, I thought it would be good to have the same hours as she has. So then I started in the school district. And, I, and I've loved working in the school district. I love That's working amazing. with children. How, how hard? Or, it seemed like it was easy, but like, was it very easy to just bounce around like that to different parts of the industry? Uh, it was an easy transition okay. Okay. because I was very nervous when I was going to start working with children. Mm-hmm. But the, the principal of the school that I worked at at that time, she was so encouraging to me, and she just said, what I say is just look at them as little adults. And that just that helped make me feel more comfortable. Right, right, um, right. But still, it took a little bit of... A learning curve? A learning curve. Okay. But, you know, after, I just loved it so much, and I really couldn't see myself working in any other setting. Okay, okay. Um, and for those, and for a while, like a long time, I myself didn't know, and we talked about this before, but like can we, in your own words, kind of break down the major differences between PT OT? I'll let you define PT first, and then I can, because <laughs> I think more people know about physical therapy, so I think hearing something familiar and then a little bit of the juxtaposition will help. Yes. I feel like the best definition I could give as a physical therapist is our primary goal and role is to help a person 
who has a disability or who has had an injury or who has had something happen where they have lost mobility mm -hmm. is to help them achieve the highest level of independent function that they possibly can. Yeah. Uh, also keeping in mind what their goal may be as well okay. and trying to get to that point. Uh, for example, if it's, uh, if it's walking or getting up from a chair yeah. or it's, we do work on a lot of, uh, independent functional skills. Yeah. I, and I hear that and it's just like, I, there's a lot of overlap and I, I, it's kind of messy a little. So how can we, what's like the main, how do we distinguish or, 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 or is it, do you just collab like that all the time? I feel like we do, however, because I went to physical therapy school in the 1980s, mm. that I, I felt like we were sort of taught more of a, a holistic approach. Sure. And sometimes now I feel like that we may have divided up the body a little bit where okay. physical therapists might work solely on what they call the the lower part of the body, which encompasses walking and sit okay. to stand and getting out of bed. Sure. Whereas I th I think you are right. We definitely can overlap a lot, and it's it's wonderful if OTs, occupational therapists, and physical therapists work as a team. Yeah. So then we can really achieve everything right. that needs whatever to be, whatever is whatever. in that patient's best interest. Exactly. Do you, do you feel like that's the case across the industry, like in the hospital setting and the home health setting is like, it's very integrative between the two. I think if it's a well-run hospital, mm. then it, it is. Um, I had a professor say, if someone's getting PT, they should probably also be getting OT. There should really be, I mean, there's multi multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary, right, right. um, you know, there's different models, but we often will collaborate and you see it even in a school setting where you have teams of different professionals. So, you know, not every student we work with will have all the professions, but given what they need on a case to case basis, we will be working together. Um, you know, in the school setting, we want to support the teacher. So we have to look at the academic yeah. goal and see what we can do to help a student in the academic setting. Something my mom said is something that I know we talked about before where it's become a thing where, PT's brought into lower extremity and gross motor and OT's been brought into upper extremity, you know, using the arms and yeah, hands. Okay. And it's not, it's not true. It's just not the case. There's a lot of both professions are working on functional independence. How I view the distinguish is sometimes I see OT working on more task specific goals. So, yeah. you know, my, my, the PT might be working on getting out of the chair, whereas OT, okay, we're getting out of the chair to do what, what, what do you want to do? You're not just going to get out of the chair to stand there. What, what's your occupation? So whether it be creating podcasts, how are we going to get you to use your body to bend over and pick up the equipment to set up the machinery or, you know, different functional tasks like that. Um, so I think that's a big difference. I would think it's when I view PT and I could be wrong. I, I, I see how they're trying to build muscle and that anatomy, physiology, kinesiology aspect, mm -hmm. really honing in on that. Where I, I, what I was attracted to occupational therapy is I, I view a little bit more of a creative, arts and crafts, holistic view. <laughs> so so hearing, hearing this, Nancy, it's like if you had all the, um, the wisdom at your disposal before going into school, like how, does that appeal to you? Like what... Or do you already integrate that into what you do now? You know, it's like. 
I feel like I, I do. I feel like physical therapists do in a different way. Okay. And when I observe occupational therapy, I, I mean, there is a little bit of envy there because okay. I do think there is a little bit more freedom for them to be creative when they're, when they're dealing with children. Okay. Whereas I feel like where my creativity comes in is having to come up with exciting activities that will motivate the person to participate. To bring a con like build a context around what they're trying to accomplish. Exactly. Okay. That's perfect, Victor. And okay. the other thing with, with occupational therapy is I do feel like they are more knowledgeable when it comes to uh, mental health issues, if 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 I if I can use put it that way, whereas I with physical therapists, and maybe that sort of is part of the mental health because I sort of look at the relationship more between student or client and the therapist because I know it has to be a good relationship. Mm -hmm. That the 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 more the student or adult likes you then the more they'll want to uh, work with you and participate you. So in right. that way, I feel like... It we're, feels more natural for them, feels, for the, the interactions through... Well, and I, yeah, occupational yeah. therapy in our curriculum, we have mental health and OT. We, mm. you know, depending on the school, and I'm not up to date what it is right now in 2020, but a lot of programs, you have to have some type of psychosocial uh, like clinical clinical, rotation, clinical right, work. Right. Um, I personally chose that and did a lot of my clinical work in a mental health setting. Right. You know, we do focus a lot about therapeutic use of self. And then going back to an example, how PT and OT can both be working on a functional task, but our, our notes and what we're looking for might look different. So my mom's example of getting up and standing, and let's say it's standing at a kitchen counter to do mm -hmm. a kitchen task, mm -hmm. the PT, yeah, can do that, but they might be looking at you know, how much assist and effort it was to get in and out of the chair, as would we, but I might be looking more at maybe in, in this realm of cognition of how many steps or how long it took to create this kitchen task, you know, how was their, you know, left side, were they paying attention to their, their full counter safety? You know, there's just so many different areas that you look That's at. That's a lot. It's a lot. It's really, <laughs> I mean, all the, all the areas of the body, really, motor, cognition, vision, um, sensory, how much, this is just a side tangent, but how much self-awareness did that bring to you being responsible for someone else's awareness? Like, did that, did that benefit you all? Like, did you notice that, like, in your own personal lives, like, you notice, like, the subtleties that probably most people miss? Are you speaking of our, I guess I'm speaking, I was well, just, like, from the yeah. anecdote that, like, um, Kat just mentioned, um, or I'm sure, like, when I was building this setup, you're like he's bending down in a weird way and like he's not he's using his back and like you know things like that like um but when you have to be like when you have to call someone out on their um not insecurities but like when they're on their weaknesses i wonder if that like brings about like a, a certain amount of awareness in your own day-to-day -day lives i i think that it does however i try very hard not to do that because i once I once said to someone as a physical therapist, I feel like sometimes you're always looking for what's wrong. Okay, yeah. You are, because yeah, yeah. why aren't you progressing? What's, what's wrong with this picture? Right. What's wrong with your balance? What can I do to help? 
And after so many years of doing that, you start looking at everything as what you're saying, you know, what is Victor doing wrong when he's setting up this equipment? <laughs> and, I, and I don't want to do that. So I, 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 I'm sort of teaching myself not to do that. I think, I think there's a fine balance between being aware of it and, mm-hmm. then, and then giving unsolicited advice. Exactly. And if you come across someone that's open to always just like, how can I improve? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, but I, I think it would be offensive to most people. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. And I I completely agree. It's easy to nitpick. And I think in general, just, you know, being conscious, self-conscious, I think we're already so hard on ourselves. But yeah, when you're in a profession where you are looking at certain body mechanics or, you know, even, you know, psychology, it's just so easy to, to really, really be hard on yourself. And I think it's great to have a different mindset. I think my mom and I are really good at looking at the positives. So I think this isn't a generalization, but I think healthcare professionals could sometimes be the worst patients in hospitals. Because yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, they don't take care of themselves. Well, exactly. And I think it's also looking at um, what can you do, and it goes along with the book. But you know, so I so many healthcare professionals they'll be complaining about something like, "Oh, what do you think of my child? You know, they're already doing this, and they can't do this." And it's like, let's relax. Everyone take a deep breath. What if you didn't have all of this knowledge in your brain of human development and yeah. you're, you're just so, you're like perseverating on what should be and not looking at the bigger picture that humans are just so different in general and take yeah. their own time to develop. And yeah. um, so I, I like the mind shift that we have of looking at the other side, the positives of what you can do rather than what you're, what you're doing wrong. Oh, I, as an educator, like if I'm about to give bad news, I'm like, well, what's the good news? Like, what can I, what can Ex- I just throw in there to like ease the blow? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Definitely have to do that. Um, and so over, over your time, I mean, what's been your, and I, well, I guess to rewind, you mentioned mental health and the last time we talked, like that was a huge inspiration for you to, to get into this. Yes. Um, and is that, was that the main, like, um, reason for why going to OT as well instead of instead of PT because of how involved mental health is with that industry? Uh, yes. I mean, if I could just tell a quick Please. story. Yeah. Uh, I think when we talked, I told you I, my grandfather, my mom's dad, was a veteran in World War II, mm-hmm. and he fought in the Battle of Casino and was shot in the head. And, you know, he didn't die. He survived. But, of course, medicine and therapy wasn't what it is now. And he had a plate... Sh- plate put in his head the plate shifted and caused a stroke so as I said therapy you know he always lived a life with that spasticity so meaning that the left side of his body was always very tight against his body he didn't really have use of his left side he had to wear special foot braces Uh, he used a cane to walk Um, you know and so growing up and being around him it was never strange to me that you know my grandpa who I call Papa moved differently or needed help from other people It's just how he was, and he always had a very independent spirit. So even though he did need help with showering and bathing and grooming, getting you know getting dressed, all these things that we work on in our therapy setting, um, he he really wanted to try as much as he could. So even if it took him an hour to shine one shoe, he would do it. And I wanted to find a profession where I can instill that type of beauty and independence. Hope. Hope. Yeah. That he somehow, to me, and maybe as a kid, maybe he didn't naturally have this. Maybe it's something that he had to learn. But in my eyes, he, it was just so natural to him. Um, and I just wanted to give that to others. So 
all these things I saw my parents doing or that I was doing to help him, I just wanted to keep on doing that. So I felt, why not make it into, into a career? And yes, um, veteran work was, is very important with occupational therapy. The profession started in 1917 mm -hmm. because of the veterans coming back from World War I and working on arts and crafts. So there's an arts and crafts movement, making sure that holistically the person was sound mentally, but also working on those physical components through leisure. And that's really what occupation is, is getting a person back into what they want and need to be doing, you know? And I think as times have moved forward, there's been a lot of that science and medicine, which makes sense. You want to have evidence-based practice. You want to know what you're doing, why you're doing it. But at, sometimes it seems at the cost of what? Like, well, there are certain assessments or um, therapy modules or preparatory activities that, you, yeah, there's a science behind it, but it's, you're not really working on occupational performance. So I'm, I'm very much, so my school of thought is to really work on functional tasks. So um, to help train the brain and body to move. Of course, I'm using my evidence-based research. It sounds good to me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's personal experience as well. But like, I wonder if that can be a standard eventually in the industry. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, going to conferences, that is a little bit of a, I wouldn't say a battle by any means, but... I think there's a lot of you know keynote speakers that do talk about getting back into more functional performance and these occupation-based activities. And um, I'm, I, I don't, I don't want to speak for a profession, but maybe letting go of some of these pipes and vendor-based therapy models. You know what I mean? Just can you elaborate? What do you mean by vendor-based? Like like people are selling equipment type things, or yeah, I... rather than keeping it simple, or. I, I, that's what I hear you saying, that you want to keep it simple, do more hands-on and, and less of these uh, equipment. And Well, I think it's important to generalize. I'm trying to think of an example. So, so in school, a lot of times handwriting is a big thing that comes my way as an occupational therapist. Mm -hmm. And I understand uh, the thought behind it because it's a very you know, visual motor, visual perception, visual closer, visual closer um, activity. There's a lot of, you have to have good core, you need to have good proximal to distal development, you need to have a strong, you know, fine motor to hold the pencil. There's really, right, right. you know, there's, there's a lot, lot to it. there's yeah. a lot to it that yeah. you wouldn't think. Um, and there's a lot of different methods to work with that, and, you know, fun activities. And I think, but if you look at some research, practicing daily, and having family involved and teachers involved is how you're going to also improve some of your handwriting Absolutely. and using other models like play. Play is a child's primary occupation. And so primary language. Yeah. I, I never heard of this. That, that makes so much sense. Yeah. So rather, so, you know, a lot of times I see in curriculum of having preschoolers sit down, like this is how we're going to get them to write. So yes, practicing writing is important, but I think you need to start somewhere developmentally, start with the play and get a child to build their core muscles and their gross motor and fine motor muscles via their play, you know, mm -hmm. climbing and jumping, sensory exploration. So, you know, a child knows how much pressure, how hard they're holding a pencil. And through this primary play, then you'll start to get into this handwriting. Uh, I know it's not necessarily talking about the vendors, but going back to the basics of what humans need in human development yeah. um, and making, to me, again, making the task very functional. Mm -hmm. um, and like I said, you still have to know science behind it. So you have to know patterns of development or you know if you're working with someone with a stroke typically what's the body going to do once it starts the healing itself and mm. so I mean of course you need to base your activities around what you know about anatomy and physiology mm -hmm. um, but I, I think for OT getting back into that more holistic 
um, make, making sure that you're maintaining that whole person that you're treating. Okay. Okay. I hear that. And I, I get a sense that you spend a lot of time with each client, right? And sometimes you can be overwhelmed by the number of clients on your plate. And so who, who dictates that? Well, in the in the school district, we're yeah. we're just given a caseload, yeah. and they do try to make the caseload manageable. Okay. Uh, and sometimes it's because other things come up within the meetings come up. Sure. The uh, report cards come up. There are other aspects of the job that I think eat away at your time more than the actual time that you spend with the, with the student. Because I, I, I feel like we do get a good amount of time that we are able to spend with a student, especially within the school district. We're able okay. to see them in, in their natural setting, because school yeah. would be their natural setting for the students that we're seeing. And you're able to go to gym with them, or the music class, or computer, or transitioning, or the cafeteria. Right. So you're really able to see what you need to work on, what's most important. So that part, I do feel like we are given the opportunity. Okay. It, it, it's just the other things, like I said, that come up when you're in the school. You know, meetings can take longer than anticipated. Yeah. This is, these aren't things that you think about in college and like pre OT pre PT, you're not thinking about like the mundane, menial, ta like menial no. tasks that you you're, no. you have to be responsible for. And it, I think that is important to know because you know, hearing us talk about OT and PT, and you can hear we have a passion. You can hear how yeah. much it oh yeah helps people, and and we really love our work and working with people. And I think um, that's very appealing, you know, to, to those that want to get into some type of nurturing profession. However, like with any job, I'm sure there's still a part where it's a little bit out of your control. So in the hospital setting, you have insurance, right? Yeah. So insurance going to kind of dictate, okay, well, you better see this person for 90 minutes a day, depending on which setting. You know, acute to inpatient, they're going to have different times to a sniff, like a skilled nursing facility. There's going to be different demands of how long you should see a, a person, um, turnaround time for getting an evaluation done. I know in my hospital experience, it's 24 hours to get an evaluation done. Um, you're also ordering equipment. You also are attending meetings with the staff and team to have, you know, what we talked about earlier, those interdisciplinary yeah. and multidisciplinary meetings, um, just to make sure everyone's on the same That's page. That's so cool. That's awesome. Yes. yes. But what other professions are, are in these integrated meetings? Uh, it's usually, if the student is receiving all these services, it would be a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, uh, speech therapist, there could be a vision therapist there, there could be an, an audiologist, audiologist there, wow. social worker, yes. nursing, nursing, then special mom. education teacher, general education teacher, the parent, the parent. If the if the child is um, fourteen and older, they're also allowed to attend the meeting, oh, okay, which okay. is good. So they can. It's it's always nice for a child to hear hear a lot of nice things about themselves. Of course, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. It's very motivating for them. That's a lot. And, but like, and do you feel like, because a lot of the meetings I'm in, they're just like, why am I here? But like, I feel like those are pretty productive meetings. 
They are. They are. They really are. And plus the parent is there, so you can hear their concerns. You can hear what's what's going on in the home district, what might, um, their home setting, what might be some challenges that they're having. Because sometimes you could not be having the same challenges at school yeah. that a parent is seeing. And it's kind of nice if you're able to have a goal that sort of lines up with the parent would like to see, and even more so if the students of age, what they would like to see. What are they hoping for? Maybe now that they're a teenager, you can help them with going to the school dance. There might yeah. be something walking across the stage for their graduation. And, and you know, when you're, when you're with a student one-on-one, -on -one, I feel like they do reveal a lot to you. But it's also nice in the other setting to, to hear when you're in the meeting what others are hearing as right, well. Right, 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 right. Oh. And so in the, in the mm -hmm. school setting, um, do the parents have to pay anything extra for these services? No. That's amazing. Really. No. Wow. So usually the parents are given a, just kind of like a consent form to sign, or they sign off that uh, the state of Illinois will... will um, reimburse. Will re reimburse our services in the school. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean... We don't get paid based on that. We, I mean, we just have our salary, but um, the, the school, the district will make more money off of our services knowing that they're getting paid from the state. Okay. Yeah. It, and in different settings, do um, like outpatient or hospital, like do insurance companies have a, a cap or a limit as to the number of visits a patient can have? That is my understanding. Right? That, that, that's how frustrating yes, is that? Because yes. this isn't an overnight thing. Like, you yes. can't just do, like, five sessions and call it a day. You <laughs> yes. And it's been a while since either of us have been in the hospitals. Um, and, and that's something, that's policy. That's that's something oh. you have to look at every year. And I know when I was in my, my doctorate program, they talked about lobbying and going to Capitol uh, Hill okay, and making okay. sure that either get rid of the cap or extend the cap. So um, I'm sure that's also depending on what insurance you have and... And where you go. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah. How about like that to increase accessibility, especially to those that are underserved and can't can't get to these. So it's really cool that the school district does does that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I just want to make clear if the parents should not sign that paper about the reimbursement, they still get their services. They they're not denied services for oh. for any reason. What are they so what what are they denying? Or what are they some sometimes a, a parent may not sign it because they feel like it'll hinder what they're able to get uh, in the hospital setting or in their outpatient setting, which usually is not the case. But if they don't understand that and choose not to sign, that's that's fine. They're still going to oh. get their their, okay, service, their yes. services in the school. Well, that's good to know. Um, and so can you tell me a little bit about the book? Like what was the main like motivation behind, behind the book? And I guess you haven't found a book like that. Well... I, to be honest with you, we really didn't search to see if there was another oh. book like that. I mean, really what what brought it about was in all the years I've been working in physical therapy and then the years that Catherine's been an occupational therapist, so many times I'd be with a student, and this is directed towards kids, but I have yeah. to say it's also happened with adults too, and someone would walk by and because in, in the school setting, it's it's much more open. You're like if you're in gym, you're out in the open. There's other people who are seeing you. It's not like s such a private setting. Yeah. And then people would say, "What's wrong with them? What's wrong with her? You know, can can she walk? Can she? Why isn't she?" And they'd be directing the question to me. 
Mm. or to Catherine, but yes. never to the student. Well, that's very interesting. So, like, other students are also aware of who you guys are, even they, though you're not, are you, like, how much contact do you have with other students? They may not always be aware. Okay. It's just, but a lot of them are, too. I wow. mean, it's because they, they're really, it's called pushing in. They really want therapies to happen within the classroom versus being outside of the classroom because that's the setting that they're in. And that is the role of physical therapy and occupational therapy. With that independent function, mm -hmm. the independent function is within their school environment. Okay. So if it's, if, it, if it's transitioning from one classroom to another, then we would be in the hallway with them seeing how they're doing on a okay. flight of stairs and that is crowded. Just, other students are just observant of that. Just observant. Okay. Right. And, and especially young children. It's, it's, it's not meant to be mean. No, I know. They just don't. Un if, yeah. They, they just haven't been educated right. to talk to the student, you know, to talk to their peer, to speak to them. And, and this is the main, main reason for the book. The, only because it had happened so much. And then one day a co-worker, I was treating a student and another kid came by and said, what's, what's wrong with him? And then finally I said, we have to write a book about that. You know, it's, 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 it's more of mm -hmm. a... Uh, or the question could be, you know, if, if it's not as blunt as what's wrong with you or what's wrong yeah. with him or her, it could come in, why can't they walk? Why can't they... Why can't they do that? Or how come you how come you pick them up? And of course, it's also important we always keep confidentiality confidentiality and privacy. So it's not like, you know, other students don't know, oh, so and so is being pulled and they're getting occupational therapy for this and for this and for this. You know, that's private information. We still adhere to HIPAA. But again, it being a very public setting, yeah. children see and they're observant, like, I want to get out of my class, or, oh, it looks like they have, they're having fun over there and playing with balls, or, right, right, you know, right, I want right, to do right, that. Right, and right. so it's just a child's curiosity of course. Uh, is what, what happens, and I think that's why, you know, when you hear this over and over, and then, you know, being empathetic, you feel so bad for the child who's working on this, and, and this child might be so proud that they finally kicked a ball, and, st and still someone's asking what's wrong with them, you know? So it's really a book about educating children. I mean, of all, of all, I mean, we didn't put an age limit on it. Just to me, it was like of all ages, of all types no, of children. It's very, it's very applicable. <laughs> and even adults, because when I read it, I think other adults would like to hear this. Adults raising children who maybe would be considered, you know, my quote unquote typical developing just how to interact with other children in their school who may look or think differently. Right. But also I think it's very um, comforting for parents to see representation of, of their child in a book and, and a tool to help them as well and to help their child yeah. to advocate and have empowerment. Yeah. Yes, because when we were first doing this, I said to Catherine, you know, what's wrong with you? And she goes, well, shouldn't it be what's right with you? And I said, yes, we know that, but it's, that's never the question. It's never the questions it's asked. It's a big like shift in perspective. Yes. Um, and so do you find you find yourselves educating more with other students rather than your own students sometimes about this? Like anytime there's an opportunity to help shift someone's perspective, you take it. You do take it the best you can. Yes. But it's also very it's it's also awkward. How so? Because they're not, I don't, I can't believe that they're inherently mean. No. Right? Like we've established no. that they're naturally curious. And so if they're open-minded enough, like. 
and we explain like it's not necessarily wrong it's like this is right exactly yes it, but it's 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 sort of what Catherine is saying about the child's privacy yeah, yeah. It's, oh, so, it's so hard. It's so, <laughs> it's so hard. So, it, like, how far can you take it without disclosing what they what they're actually going through? You know. Yeah. Well, I guess do you let do you let whoever's curious kind of just like keep prodding and prodding and like what if what if like oh but they're they um, might not speak the way I speak or they might you yeah know. you know what I just say you know what we're we're working on having fun and they're doing such a great job at this task that we're doing and we're practicing peeling stickers right now can you peel a sticker and oh look they can peel a sticker too maybe this is something that you can do together in class you know so it's showing yeah. I like that so like you're kind of you're join kind of in building relatability mm-hmm. and like being the bridge to because they're probably they probably want a way and adults too want a way to interact and I think people just don't know what to say or do. And so they just stay quiet and never, never approach it. Absolutely. And then you see all the time um, or you hear about in the playground, like, don't look, don't stare. And you understand the kind intent behind that of not right. staring at someone right, that, right, you know, right. looks differently. But at the same time, then you're also promoting to just ignore someone who looks differently. So it's also trying to learn how to engage, you know, don't stare, but walk right. up to someone or look at someone like you would any other person. Right, 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 right. Right, because you feel more excluded yeah. if someone doesn't even acknowledge you're there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it, it is just getting, getting the child into that. Are these, are these things that your, your students have explic- explicitly expressed to you guys? Like, I wish people would just said hi. Yes. Or is it just bit, like just observational? Both. Okay. I, I, I've had students who are able to share their feelings, e- express that. And there's uh, there's one particular interaction that, that I yeah. can share. And yeah. it was two girls, and they were the same age. And they, they pretty much, uh, well, you know, they were functioning very similar. So I would see them together. So okay. we'd, we'd go and we would do therapy together. And then one was going to move to another school. Oh. And she was, you know, Miss Nancy, I'm going to be going to wherever. And the other girl looks at her and goes, and it's, it still almost makes me cry when I think about it. She goes, so I'm going to be the only one. Oh, no. And so, yes, they do express it. They might not always say in, 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 as you but and they I, feel it. but yeah. they feel it. Yes. I'm like going to cry. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, and I, it's true. And, and even, it is. Even it's, if it's not verbally expressed yes. like that, it's, it could also just be, I mean, I had a student that I worked with and the elevator was broken this yeah. day, which is such, I mean, this is how someone moves about the building. If right, they are right, in, right. a person that's in a wheelchair, uses a wheelchair to get around. And this particular day, there was a school parade assembly and all the students walked up the stairs and across the hall and promoted seatbelt safety and had their little instruments and drums. And this student just broke down crying and crying and crying because he wasn't able to to go up and, and participate. And we found a way to do it. I'm not going to say how because I don't know if it would necessarily... it's kosher. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but he was very happy that he was able to participate. But knowing that in the moment when he thought he couldn't, he... That's frustrating. So frustrating. So frustrating. 
See, and that shows you everyone wants to be included and everybody wants to be part of what's going on. It's uh, I love that. So like, yeah, I, I think a lot about that as well. Just like be, try to be inclusive rather than exclusive. And like you're, you guys are like the facilitators of that. You you bring a lot of hope back into people that might have lost hope at one point. Aww. I hope so. I hope Thank so. You. And I mean, I just if you really have this empathy and think about, can you imagine if your presence and existence made other people feel comfortable? Though it shouldn't. That's not something on you. It's that's clearly a, a problem or an issue with them. Yeah. But it's still hurtful when it's noticeable that that just people don't know how to talk or interact or also um, sometimes if people have a physical disability there's other people that still talk to them as if there might be some kind of cognitive or intellectual disability not that you should even talk to someone so differently <laughs> just because intellectually or cognitively they're different than you you should still have that kindness and but to talk to someone like just assuming that they can't understand what you're saying yeah do you guys know of any other ways that we can like bring greater exposure to, to these like to the demographic, to, to students that want, you know, more people in their lives? <laughs> I have a friend who is blind. We've been friends for a, okay. lot, a lot of years, and we travel together. She's an inspiration. I have to say most people I have treated or who have known who have some type of physical challenge, they really have been an inspiration to me. Yeah. But in in her story... Whenever we do travel, being that she's blind, a lot of times a person will talk to me and not her, even though she's standing right there. And she is totally aware of it. She can feel that they're talking to me and not to her, even though she may be the one paying yeah. talking to me. And she'll personally educate that person. She feels like it's her job, like, mm. you know, talk to me. I'm the one. And I, I feel like if we could help our, educate our students that we see to, to speak up, to have a voice. Because I think it's very hard to have yeah. a voice you when you when you feel like people are not when you're on the out when you're like feel like you're outcasted. I th I think I think so. And I think when I said that initially, it kind of came out weird. Like I, I don't mean to just seek out you know, people with disability for the sake of like their disability. But like, I guess, how do we normalize? Like, should we be, should we, do we probably want to see it in, in mainstream media and in shows and movies more Absolutely. often. Absolutely. Yes. Like how else can we bring like greater exposure to this demographic to, to normalize it, yeah. to not make it so, to give them the resources to be able to interact on that level. How do we just treat humans like humans you know it's just like why is that I, know, so I was hard? like this is a bigger question than i can answer <laughs> it's, so, it's so crazy <laughs> it, it, is, it is but i have seen uh, that there has been improvement okay i i feel like you know i see in advertisements now and tv shows and i feel like there has been there's there's still a long way to go it's yeah. not you don't always see someone who's uh is independent by using a wheelchair uh portrayed frequently but i have seen it a little bit more but you are right it is, it is the bigger question yeah um when uh, i first started working on the ambulance as an emt i was surprised at how independent people that were paralyzed became eventually and like you know i was assuming that they would need some help getting over from maybe the stretcher to their chair to a bed and 
like I got it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and and that's due to rehab. That's due to yeah. therapy and and rehab. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. And and their own spirit, their own desire. And yeah. Yeah. And so I think you mentioned this um, last time, Kat. But like, do, do right after an injury, they they might have lost all hope. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you like deal with with that? For like for someone who's so and I'm working on this, but like so logical and not as emotional, I just want to like get from A to Z. Like, like how can we move on and find a solution to this? And I can't just like sit with the feelings. Like, like how do you deal with like high stress, high anxiety, like high emotional? Cause like it's hard not to take it home, right? It's not hard to like just take it and just, or just deflect it. You have to like sit there with it. So can you, like, how do you, because you've been, you've both been in hospital settings, right? So, like, how, how have you dealt with that? Do you want me to? Yeah, I do. <laughs> so I think, there, I think your question has, like, two parts sure. to it. So how, how can I have my therapeutic use of self when I am working with a person maybe in the worst day of their life yeah. at their most yeah. vulnerable state? And then also how do I go home in my own Absolutely. Exactly. life outside? Sorry about that. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the first part, uh, and I keep saying this therapeutic use of self, and I, I almost want to say it's something you can work on for sure. Okay. I think some people have a little more of a natural sense of, of this quote unquote vibing with someone or kind right, of right, gauging right. where someone's at. I think other people really need to uh, be comfortable with emotions and, and work on exploring your own emotions. So obviously, you know, the type of person I am, I'm already pretty hopeful. Maybe some people would say bubbly, um, you know, have this big smile. However, I have to be aware of maybe how happy I come across or how energetic Mm -hmm. I seem if I'm approaching someone who maybe now has lost function of half of their body and might not regain it back depending on the injury. And this person is very vulnerable. They might be wearing an adult diaper at this moment and not having control of bowel and bladder. But knowing that in this hospital setting that my job would be to help a person learn how to use what what they do have function of of their body and what other tools that are out there to um, like adaptive devices, assistive technology to help a person be as independent as possible. Mm. Um, You know, there's hope in that. And, and I think, um, you know, just really understanding, engaging, being empathetic. I understand, you know, but we're going to get through this every day is a new opportunity to learn something new. You know, this does not mean that life is over. You can still have a quality of life. Mm. There's, you know, there's so much to do with therapy. There's so much to learn. There's there's so much to help you. And, um, you know, I, I think of patients that didn't believe me. I've had patients actually be really mean to me. Um, but And they did they flip, like, over time? Over time, over yeah. Over time. Over okay. time. <laughs> and what do, you, what do you think it took? It, what, is it just that much, like, putting in the reps, putting in the time? Or, like, what did you notice a tipping point at all? I think... And it's, Every, it's probably very subject. It's very like uh, dependent on like the you know case by case basis. Yeah, I I think it's yeah absolutely. Every day you're working on something new, and maybe when um, lifting a cup to pour milk into a bowl was hard, and you spilled it all over, and now you can do that. That's just like oh my gosh, something that maybe most people take for granted or don't even think about being a difficult task, but just like holding a bowl steady and pouring it with the other hand, like. Oh, do this so like what else can I do and and seeing how you're building and growing and you know the body is an amazing thing just you know neuroplasticity how much the brain Mm -hmm. can can learn and mold it at all ages really Mm -hmm. and then to take it home that's a great question I think 
I just have pretty strict discipline of a work-life balance. Um, I'm always passionate about others and caring about others, mm-hmm. but I also, um, you know, I, I get involved in my own life as well. Like with acting, I have different mm-hmm. hobbies and leisure, and and so ways that I can channel my this all these emotions I have with it. <laughs> right, right, right. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or working out, you know, for some people, and it's, so it's. Well, I feel like, for me, uh, there was this book I read one time, and it was called Expecting Adam. Uh, not, not to summarize someone else's book, but in, in gist, I, I think her last name was Beck, I'm not sure, or Martha Beck or some, okay. just to give uh, some, some credit to that, Arthur. But she was, she was pregnant with a child, and she knew the child was going to have Down syndrome. And it was her journey of accepting the fact that she was going to have a, a, a child with this diagnosis and how so many of the people around her wanted her to uh, abort the child. Well, she ends up having the child, and then the book goes on about her, her struggle of coming to acceptance. And she was in a physical therapy session mm-hmm. with her child, and the therapist said to the mother, you were so lucky to have him. And she started to cry because she goes, you chose this as a profession. I didn't choose this for myself. But in a way, I think that kind of summarizes how I feel. I mean, I chose this as a profession. I feel comfortable with, with people who are challenging and struggling mm-hmm. to get get back to a, a level that is uh, independent and functional for them. And I, I always feel like I have such beautiful stories when I think back on so many of the adults I have been with and so many of the kids just, yeah. just and that, that's what I do. I, I guess if I take it home, I would take it home like going out with you and, and you share stories with me and I, and I uh, just remember them and just think of them and I just think of them in a positive way. Okay, it's, okay. It's, it's, it's not depressing to me at all if that's what you were, it no, doesn't. No, absolutely not. I guess, yeah, <clears throat> I, I, I was just coming from the like, other healthcare perspective and like you see more negative than positives, I guess. And I guess that's what could be more stressful. But when you're surrounded by just hope, it's like, that's awesome. I would love to take that home. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You're right. You are surrounded by that. That's so true. That is so true. And then someone like you, who you said you're not really an emotional person, it, then we'd have to try and find a way for you to... You're going to open the floodgates? Yes. There's a lock in there. <laughs> even so much your emotions but yes I could see where someone to me someone like you would be easy to work with in terms of physical therapy because I feel like you would have a goal mm-hmm. every day and mm-hmm. you would want to achieve it you would probably work me very hard but as far as the emotional part maybe you would only open up to your friends and family maybe you would not share something uh, that you were feeling, but I could see a person like you just would be very motivated to to do. Pretty spot on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you think? What do you think um, in your before you went to school for this led to your success? Like, is there anything that 
pre-OT, pre-PT students should be doing mm -hmm. prior to embarking on that journey? Anything extra besides that track? I think for myself, I always knew I wanted to be in a helping profession. Mm. And then all I could see was nursing, and I really felt like I, I really wanted to be a nurse. Mm. Uh, but to be honest with you, I couldn't pronounce the, the medications. I really, I really can't. I can hardly pronounce a lot of words still. But after my father had his stroke and the physical therapist would come to the house, I thought to myself, now, that's something that I could do. That's something I could do. Yeah. I don't have to be able to pronounce the big words. I mean, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania, so I didn't have to pronounce the big words. I'm just going to have a conversation with people, and I'm just going to be, we're going to be like a team. So I guess my advice would be, if you really feel like you want to go into any profession, in a healthcare profession, volunteer. Yeah. Make sure that's what you really do like so that you don't walk in the first day and then you you are offended by someone who needs to be cleaned up or you don't you have a hard time if somebody throws up. See, those are things that don't that don't bother me. Yeah. So I I think I think it's the biggest thing would be your ability to connect with someone. Are there are there like um, databases or like areas where people can reach out to practitioners to, to seek volunteer opportunities. I, I just feel like, and this is like, you know, back in high school and even, even college, it's just, it's so hard to, you, you feel like you need, you need to know someone. And I wonder, or maybe I just couldn't find the database. Uh, no, I mean, I think that's a great question. I don't know if there is yeah. a specific... It probably depends on the setting, too. It's probably a little harder to get into a hospital setting, but like yeah, yeah. outpatient or home health, it might be a little easier, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, and I think... I mean, I was fortunate that my mom was already a physical yeah. therapist, so... And growing up and since she worked in the school setting, it was, you know, pretty easy. Just, you know, she would talk to the principal, maybe sign a form that I'll be visiting the school, and mm. I was able to volunteer... Um, my mom being a physical therapist, I would see so many different types of people. Like she mentioned, she has a friend who's blind or as she built rapport relationships with other people, you know, you just, I got to just have this be part of my life growing up, um, with a great opportunity to, to volunteer. However, I'm thinking, you know, maybe emailing and reaching out to some facilities, mm -hmm. noting that you want to volunteer, seeing what's available. I'm thinking if there's also uh, volunteer organizations as a whole, Mm. Um, that that kind of have a database in their own of where you can volunteer. Are, I'm sure there are. Do you know of any, like for specifically within the like the rehab um, world or therapy world? I I don't know of one specifically, yeah. but a, a lot of times if you call, especially um, extended care facilities, and and you say you would like to volunteer, I don't really know what the process is yeah. now because it's it seems like. Everything is a little bit more rigid at the moment right, as far right. as getting in, but they may be able to direct you. It's, sure. Well, and yeah. I know that, and I, I don't know if it's geared more so if you're a student already in this profession, but there's also people that look for some respite or, or companionship for, you know, geriatric population. Um, I have a friend who does that where she'll visit someone an hour a week and just hang out. And I think that might be, a, you're already there and getting a good idea of, what they can do, what they need help with, maybe seeing some of the other people that come in and out of their room. 
Um, but I completely agree with my mom in the sense that really get to know each profession because it's not all just the same of what you're doing. What so you're nuanced too. Yes. Is it, I don't know if I um, remember this correctly. Did you spend time in hospice? I, I did. Okay. I did, but I, I was a hospice volunteer. Volunteer. Yes. Okay, okay. Okay. Yes. How was I, that experience? I really, I really did enjoy that. Yeah. It was, um, I only did it for about a year. It can be a little bit overwhelming. The thing that I found, because I was there to give the family members a chance to, to maybe sleep or go get a meal or just, uh, just to get away for a little bit. But they never wanted to. They never wanted to leave. Yeah. So I was. I felt like I was more there for them that they could have a conversation and just talk about how uh, exhausting it is taking care of somebody at the end life. But it was. Um, I, I feel like it's. It was. A, it was a gift to me to be able to be with people at the most difficult time in their life where they're trying to say goodbye to. To someone, but uh, it, it was it was a beautiful ex- beautiful experience. But do did these did these patients um, did they what, was there a common thread between these patients? Did they have like like if they were to, to reflect on their life, like was there is there any common thread? That's a that's a good question, and I'm I'm going to have to think about that for a little bit. But like any I guess any regrets with that. With the hospice training, we had to read a book, and it was called um, The Final Gift. Mm. It's because everyone at that time seems to have something that makes the transition easier for them. Like if it's a son that they haven't spoken to for years, or if it's just letting everybody know how much you love them or appreciated them or... Uh, how thankful they are for them being in our life. But you are right. There, there, there is something. Uh, I, it wasn't revealed to me by every patient that I, yeah, yeah for that, that short time that I was able to spend with them. But yeah, everyone does have a have something. We're, we're all gonna die eventually. Yeah. Like, did it help? Like, bring a certain level of like, whoa! Like, I gotta make the most of my of my time here. It does. Like a certain amount of gravity to it, yes, right? Yes, it does. But you have to keep reminding yourself of that, though, daily. I, yeah. I feel like it's very easy to the, the slip back in. Like uh, you have something on the back of your shirt that talks about the mundane. And, and that, that is the goal we should all have is making the mundane feel New. Exciting. New. Exciting. And, <laughs> and, and, and I think that's true. And I remember a story you told me and some people you saw at the end of their life who maybe they didn't fulfill the things that they thought they would, or maybe because of temporal, social, cultural, mm. that they, they weren't able to. Maybe um, an older female who wanted to go out and, and be a big writer or do something great and rather maybe, and not to say, of course, like being a mother and, and a homemaker is not great, but maybe mm-hmm. if that's not what you want to do, you would feel like I did what society thought I should do as a woman mm-hmm. growing up in this time. And um, I remember you were mentioning someone saying how high school is the best time of their life. Yes. And to me, yes. that stuck with me yes. because I thought, oh my gosh, you know, so anytime I catch myself 
really thinking like, oh, college. That was missing a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those were the best years. Really, they were. Because um, then it's so because you think, wow, so fourteen to eighteen years old, and then it's just been you have not found as much joy and happiness within your life as that time. And now you're in your eighties. So, I mean, it's something to work on every day, but just being so present and mindful and just finding the the greatness of your everyday life. I don't, I don't want to be looking back and think that was the best time of my life. I always want to be living the best time of my life. Absolutely. Sorry to get off track a little. I love these things. I love, I love. (laughs) No, but it's still that is, that is on track. <laughs> so like a, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, like a rude awakening thing. Yes. Just like snap out of like the complacency and like realize like this is all we have for all we know, you know, like this is all we have and uh, make the most of it. Yes. Right. Um, but I guess tying it back uh, with the industry, are you guys like hopeful about the industry? Like with the future, like what, how has quarantine put a hindrance on like what you do on a day to day basis? Quarantine has been very difficult for me. Fall has started, right, for, for the school? On Monday. Monday. Oh, okay, okay, Monday. Monday. Gotcha. We yeah. start, you know, meetings, and yeah. so I think the kids come back after Labor okay. Day. So. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. Tell yeah. me, how, how is it? Well, part of it has to do with my age, because I think younger therapists are able to embrace uh, tele, okay. teletherapy and... I'm just, I'm a hands-on person. I really like to be where I can physically be touching and helping. Yeah. And whereas the teletherapy, if you're helping the parent facilitate the therapy, which is a great learning experience for them, but it's not as satisfying for me. And to be honest, at the end of the school year, a lot of the parents, it was just too overwhelming for them. So a lot of our communication has just been email, suggestions. Uh, so it's, it's been a, a whole new ball game for me. And I'm just looking forward to being back with one-on-one with the, with yeah. the students and being with my coworkers and right, right, right. just being back in the work environment we for need me. That. Yes. Yeah, connection. Yes. yes. We do need and that. And I think there are a lot more barriers than. You, yeah, you would think like, <laughs> oh, everyone can talk over the computer now. It's like, yeah. mm, it's with the therapy. Same, no, yeah. granted, there are, you know, you, you can go into telehealth and teletherapy, and that's a specific thing. Oh. But keep in mind that, you know, I'm sure the program is what it is. You have you know, families that also sign up for this. And I think there's just more of a expectations when like, yeah, expectations are you're going into the known, whereas this was unknown completely for everyone. And it, you know, we didn't have training on teletherapy and, and I mean, and then there's so many external barriers that we have to navigate. Keep in mind, internet service, not every family we work with has internet service. Um, keep in mind there might only be one device for our home. And if this is a multifamily home or if there's many children in the home, maybe the older children need to use the laptop or computer or iPad or parents phone or whatever to access their curriculum. Um, then does that fall on the family's responsibility? It does, right? I do feel like the, the school district is trying to help out with that. I think, I think they are, but I'm sure since this was something that was thrusted on everyone, it was something you really couldn't so fast. Yes. Anticipate how quickly can you put all of those needs in place. And so what does that, um, cause you to spend more time? Like it just like things get backed up on your end when they can't keep up. 
Well, I I feel like it's the teachers have really been the ones that have had the most difficult time uh, because they have the whole classroom that they they have to try to find ways to engage Uh, and and it's it's just been difficult i really don't i don't even have a specific answer for how all of these challenges are being met and how they are going to be met it's 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 been it's been difficult and i would say out of let's say 60 kids on my caseload i've been able to maybe contact all the families via email um, or maybe through a meeting but I, you know, had, with the teletherapy, maybe have only been able to see 10. And granted, this was last, you know, before the school year ended. So I hope that starting this year, I'll have a better flow. Maybe there's going to be more hotspots for internet. Um, but you also have to keep in mind supplies. It would be wrong of me to look up a fun craft to work on yeah, visual yeah. motor and, you know, fine motor and bilateral coordination skills. And then to tell a family, okay, you know, make sure you have glue and scissors and, and tissue paper and the little, I think it's, it's just, it's too much. It's just really too much. So it's also working our wheelhouse of how do how can we get that creativity and, and do something therapeutic. So I would try to do motor activities that did not require supplies at all. Mm. Um, so we would do virtual dice games, and depending on where how the dice moved, it was a different yoga pose or movement. And uh, you know, and I would also work with the PT that I work with in the schools, and we would um, consult. We were able to kind of observe a child in a wheelchair and 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 hear the child and parents' concerns of of maybe a misfit of the wheelchair and and contact the vendor. So I mean, in those ways, it was a very consultation, a lot of check ins. I provided a lot of packets and resources, but you do feel a little helpless during this time okay. um, and what you can do. Even more helpless than sometimes maybe when you feel overwhelmed when you are in person. <laughs> wow. Um, and if, if you, like, what, what would you decide you would want to do with the school year or with the school semester right now? Like, would, do you feel like there are means to have a safe environment for the kids to come back? Or is there just so many kids? There are a lot of kids and there are a lot of factors involved. Yeah. I sort of was hoping that we would go back. Because yeah. I know when I when I listen to what the medical professionals are saying, you know, they talk about how children aren't really uh, as susceptible as adults and they may not even be carriers. And so I think... That would be nice then if we could go back, but then there's the factor with the adults who maybe are more vulnerable Mm -hmm. and they're still around the other adults. And I know everybody's trying to be as socially distanced as they can and and wearing their their mask around people that they're not living with and the the hand washing in that. But I also think about if students have to wear their mask all day, that's that's a that's a challenge too. So I, I really don't have a, a specific answer. Yeah. I mean, my desire definitely is to go back and and be with the kids. That, that's really what I what I would like. I guess safer is obviously safer. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, think, yeah. exactly. And my desire would be to go back, of course. And it's just your job is, like I said, it's just what what it is. It's how it should be. Yeah. However, you just want everyone to be as safe as possible. And I think 
Um, there's so much unknown and you hear so many different doctors' opinions of, of, you know, how the children, if they can carry, can't carry, how it affects them, who knows. And before it was like they weren't really affected and then it was, oh, some kids are having strokes. So it's just all this back and forth. And then, yes, there's so, if you think about so many adults that go in and out of the building, you have clinicians who go to multiple schools, touching different supplies, sharing supplies, Parents coming in and out, custodial staff, uh, cafeteria staff, teachers, substitutes. I mean, that's just, I'm not even naming everyone. And then the lunchrooms. I mean, you can have 800 kids in a school, 1,000 kids in a school. And so, um, yeah, and then kids keeping masks on every day. I just, I can't picture that. Um, And I think even some some of the kids that we work with, if there's some oral motor, you know, if there's a lot of drool or respiratory or... Um, you know, any any diagnosis where there might be, um, or sensory, you know, there's a lot of components that a child wouldn't ma- wear a mask. Um, and then I think of the unknown of a virus. I think I talked to you. There's, you know, some viruses that can affect the nervous system pretty harshly. And I've, I've seen that in kids, too, that um, a virus has kind of attacked the nervous system and mm-hmm. there's onset of paralysis. And so you just want to be careful for everyone. And, and you know, kids, if, even if they go home and who knows where their families have been out in the community. And so it's just, yeah. it's, it's so hard to regulate in the school-based setting. So, but I, I who am I? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> like, if you were, if you were a lobbyist, like, what do you think, like, um, maybe another, like, like a, a consistent stimulus check, but then like, how, how, what are your thoughts on taking the school year and just like nulling it? Or like, how does like that work? I feel like because there's a ripple effect with all the way to, to college um, of just people missing out like on the school year and they just don't feel like they're getting the same education via online um, rather than in person. And you, you just feel behind. And so everyone, if you're just like, oh, it's kind of canceled then. Like, how does... Yeah, that's, that's a hard question to answer. But I also think um, everyone will kind of be... Like right, we're, we're all going to be behind together. <laughs> yeah, right? that's the thing. I don't know that. I mean, yeah, there's so many variables. There's so many variables right? because like parents have to work. Parents yes. have to work. Um, and also when you think of regression, you know, population we we work with, some students you do not want them to miss instruction, and we advocate for uh, going to summer school so that they maintain these skills that they have learned, and they're still getting PT and OT and some special education during the school year. So they're, I think, you know, that's what's, um, it, it just sucks all over. There's really not a good answer because I do see what you're saying. There's a population where there is going to be regression, and that's going to take a lot to come back. Or I think of students that, you know, they, they went from being able to hold a, a pencil, let's say, like I said, this is a common thing I hear, and barely being able to apply pressure, and now they're, you know, holding it and putting more pressure and they can finally write their name or students that weren't able to hold scissors and a paper and cut and they were starting to cut circles. Um, students that were able to put their coat on and zip it by themselves. And I do think of that, um, you That's know. That's nice. But these are things that you can do on your, like they can practice. They can't, they can't practice right. at home. And you just hope that. That they do. Yeah. Or that the, in, you know, environment that someone lives in has the supplies and the, yeah. there's just, there's, there's so much. So much out of your hands. Oh, yeah. So much. Like I can't. Yeah, helpless, you said. Yes, yes. yes. Um, okay, well, when things return back to normal, are there any things that you wish you could do that you can't do at the time? Are, like, is there, is there any part of the job that might be frustrating? Things that coming into the job you thought you could do, and then you're like, why, why can't I do this? 
you mean in terms of telehealth that, that we know, can't? I think in general. For- in person. Like when, when like things were back to normal or when they do return to normal, it's like, was there any part of the job that you thought you would have been able to accomplish within your role and like you just feel limited at, in any capacity? Let me think about that. Do you have an answer? Well, I think in our setting, sometimes supplies and equipment. Um, and that's aside from the teachers getting their own equipment. <laughs> right, right. You know, we have X amount of dollars a year to buy things for okay. ourselves, but often we're maybe spending more. Um, and I think the allocation of different resources isn't necessarily, um, you know, equal. Yeah. So, um, you know, another population I might work with is students with ADHD or students with autism. And if there's a sensory component that comes with that, a lot of people are like, well, sensory rooms. And I mean, um, you know, that's kind of its own, another, its own other beast, but some schools might have a sensory room where you can go and you can um, kind of promote and apply true sensory integration models or have knowing if a child can you needs... Just, what, I can just, I've never been in one. Can you describe what one could be like? Yes, and I actually have never worked at a school that has one. So, okay. <laughs> But, um, so, you know, of course, I'll just talk about sensory in general. Sometimes your body perceives sensories different. So you might be seeking something, you might be avoiding something. And if I were to give you a sensory profile, everyone has their own little preferences and aversions, you know? So when it becomes where it impacts your function is what I really want to look at. So let's say, you know, we could be sitting in this room and there's the bright lights coming at me, the vent might go on, you know, I can, I can have these headphones on and I, my, my body can integrate. I can concentrate on this conversation with you. However, for someone that vent might sound almost like airplane jets, these lights might feel like the sun, you know, it's so it's, it's too much. And I might not be able to work or concentrate. I just, Mm. it's, it's like almost painful. So the sensory you want to be able to help regulate the body and modulate the body and 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 promote so they have control over different aspects that reach the sensory well so like so then the senses so then so for example maybe if the light felt bright i would recommend to a teacher get those dimmers mm. either turn the lights down or there's those um like a those clear or colored sheets. I don't know if you've seen them. You can just put over okay. some headlights and then they make the light a little... So you can still see, you can softer, still function. Yeah, yeah, yeah. softer yeah. light. Um, I thought it was a dedicated room. Like, like Oh, yeah. So, so that's... Oh, but, oh, so, that's, oh, but, but then, yes. then, then you, you like apply it to like yes. so then, other settings. Right. So there is a room and the lights can be dimmed down and maybe there's some of those tube lights or, um, you know, there's headphones. Maybe you can go into the room and there's swings. So if you or having a hard time knowing your body is in space and you com- come across as clumsy and you're falling out of your chair. So getting more of that proprioceptive input, knowing where your body is. So there's tools in a sensory room that's just a very, almost like a calming room. Yes, it um, could be a calming room or it could be a, a room for for students who need to have their bodies awakened. Wow. So yes. it could be, you know, it, it's just like deep pressure to calm them down, but yep. then maybe movement to wake them up. Oh, wow. it, it's so subjective of what everyone needs. It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can even have a, stu- let's say if a student needs movement to wake up, you can also move too much and, mm-hmm. and be overstimulated. So it's really um, knowing what your quote unquote sensory diet is, but I don't have sensory rooms in the school that I work in. I think sensory, at least for us in our school district and school-based setting is very consultative. Um, I mean, that's a model that I like to use when it comes to sensory and using accommodations and modifications of the environment. The environment is very important, especially in occupational therapy and how a person is responding. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, if 
if it's a classroom and it's like, well, they're moving a lot or they're falling out of their seat or, you know, they're complaining about light or scream, you know, just kind of seeing, well, what could be looking before this? And also not everything is sensory. I do want to say that, um, you know, you have to look at the antecedent behavior and then the consequence of what follows mm. and, you know, looking, is there attention seeking behavior? Is there, you know, power escape escapism and, um, sensory could be a part of it, but it's not everything. But when it is sensory, definitely trying to find a way to regulate and modulate the body. I feel like a lot of people can benefit from something like that. No. <laughs> oh, trust me, I know. Um, I get a lot of I've, I've, <laughs> yes. I've recently yes. played around with like breath work and like using mm -hmm. it as a way to like bring somewhat of a sense of control back into you when like you feel like so much is going on and yes. and things are out of control. Yes. Um, have you found other ways to implement um an ability to gain a sense of control back in addition to breath work to to the students like to bring some to, to give them some control like how mm -hmm. do you when they feel like something's like it's so chaotic how can they reel it back in well no i i was just gonna say when you just to um piggyback on what you said about what you wish you could have when you go back that you don't always get yeah oh yeah, yeah. yes uh, and then it, I think it'll tie in with that breath work too, because I do what you were talking about, the creativity. I, I like to come up with different ideas on on how to, if if not to facilitate therapy or to make a, a student feel, you know, part of the, the therapy in some way or to do, try to do something innovative. And one of the things that I was doing with my coworkers as we were trying to do yoga okay. on a regular basis, and that that's what brings in the um, the breath work and everything. And yoga is something that a lot of students, even though they have a disability, can also do with their peers. Mm -hmm. And it 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 always started. I guess the word is enthusiasm. I with I wish that sometimes whatever school I was in would embrace some of my ideas instead of. Okay. Yes, that, okay. that that would be it. And and it goes along with the supplies because we would love to have more yoga or more whatever in schools. But right. it's, it's not so easy just to be like, I'm starting yoga or I'm making a sensory path. You really, you know, that's going to cost money. You need space. You, you need to be approved. You know, so it's not so simple. You might have all these tools and ideas as a therapist, but you still have to work under certain guidelines. And I think that that could feel a little suffocating. Mm. But yeah, yoga is a great tool that works really well with kids and there's been research for sensory modulation and attention and um you know and it's also very proprioceptive very core building so you're getting a, like pretty much that whole gamut um things i recommend to teachers are the wheel of choice um we i, I like that yeah so yeah, yeah it, but like what does that mean so they spin it yeah so i think it it's fun for a child because they can spin it but it also has choices that you as the adult you're still guiding you're still the adult yeah, of the room you right. know um but it might be do you need two more minutes, set a timer, two more minutes, come back to the carpet or, you know, and there could be a third one of, I mean, it's what's specific to the teacher's classroom, whatever they need or go to the center. So it's kind of like you're giving them options that are helpful for both of you, but mm -hmm. then the autonomy is also in the child. So they feel right. part of that so collaboration. The, what, the act of spinning? Yeah. The act it, of spinning. Like, and then brings control. the act of spinning, okay. the act of spinning or, I mean, I think it's just a personal thing, depending on the age, giving a child so many choices is overwhelming. And I think, yeah. Um, 
are you guys keeping a list of all these things that you wish you could be doing? Yeah. And like, can you imagine like the, you know, you come as a collective with maybe mm-hmm. other practitioners or maybe just you two and like, yeah. just do your own thing. You know, like what if you like formed in like an outpatient group and you're like, we just need the funds now and let's just do our own thing. All the things that we couldn't do before. Yeah. Yes. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> we haven't talked about, that, talked about it with my coworkers and not just that yoga, like the thing with students, particularly young people, they have therapy all their life. They get tired of doing just gross motor skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's always nice to find something that is different, but still gives them that therapeutic need. Like yeah. like the yoga, like I said, dance is another great thing. It starts you know, getting them involved in dance. I mean, I would never be able to participate in swimming, but there's some schools that have swimming pools and getting the kids involved in in a swimming activity, horseback riding, uh, anything like that where you still are getting therapeutic benefit, maybe even a lot more than what we're giving them because it's something fun. So it's something that they would really have a buy-in to. Right, right, right. Uh, So... Those are different things that I really would like to see facilitated. And another one, I I read an article in Reader's Digest, and it was a photographer, uh, and I think he was out of Poland. But he would position kids where they would look like they were mm-hmm. flying or they were putting a, a ball into a basket. And somehow he would climb up on a ladder and he'd take the photos from above. Yeah. And you'd have shadows and everything. You probably understand that, Victor, because you, you're... you're <laughs> And I've always wanted to do that for the kids, but I just can never seem to get too much um, buy-in. I just uh, thought it would just be so interesting, like if a school photo could mm-hmm. be look more like an action shot than a still shot. But oh. those are, those are just some of the. I and you can't always expect people to be enthusiastic about what you right what you think is. It's is, unfortunate, but it's probably not until someone who has that authority or power is personally. Affected by something like this, yeah, mm-hmm. and they themselves are seeking what you guys are trying to put out into the world. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, some people are so creative with grants and yeah. and are so open to it. It's just, and it's it's hard. I've been open and honest with you just about those barriers. You know, when yeah, you're traveling yeah. to so many different schools and you have so many meetings mm-hmm. and so many reports to write and notes to write and seeing kit. I mean, there's still a lot into the job. So as much as it sounds fun to create these different things, there's also a barrier of time and resources, to be honest. Yeah. But it is, um, yeah, you want to do so much with so little time, but at the same time, um, you did share that you have an ideal work life balance as well, which is like important to be able to take care of yourself before taking care of someone else. Yes. Yes. And were there other parts of the PTOT world that might not share that same work life balance? I mean, you would probably know more because I've, I've mostly worked in school base. I've always had those school hours mm-hmm. and summers off and holidays. Um, yeah, I could see where the hospitals are. Over- it's just year-round then. And then yes. You, you just build up vacation time and exactly. weekends, yes. holidays. Yes, because, I mean, I was a lot younger when I worked in rehab, and I still remember coming home from work and being so tired, but I'd want to spend time with her, so I just asked her to go go. Um, sleep on the bed with me and then we would talk and we would do just um those little puppets shadow puppets and yeah. things on the wall and she was always very good about it to be, be a four or five year old <laughs> girl and just be okay just because she wanted to spend time with mom but yeah i remember 
I mean, and I and I was young, so right. I, I do know right. it has to be overwhelming for right. the therapists to work in hospitals. It is hard work. Um, is there anything else that you want to want to add? I, I know we talked we talked briefly about the you know the distinguished distinction between like a doctorate and whatnot, and like does that matter too much anymore these days? I told Victor that it's a little controversial. <laughs> is, is that a big deal? Like as long it's, as you're doing the work? Or? It's, it's not a big deal to me because I, I, I started out with a bachelor's degree. Yeah. And my father-in-law, who can be very funny, he would always <laughs> say, are you a doctor doctor or are you a doctor dentist? Oh, so <laughs> so I, do th- I, and I kind of agree with that. I think is, is, it's not so important. The education is important. It's good to yeah. to have that. I'm not I'm not trying to diminish that. But as far as having the title, it's it's not so meaningful to me. I don't know if if younger you, people because you you went back to get it. Right? I went back. Now, how much of that was like redundant? Because you because you've been practicing. It was. It, <laughs> okay. it, it was. <laughs> that's what yeah, that's what I'm. Like, I, that's what I thought. It was, <laughs> and it was just. Uh, I feel like because nurses go through that right now, too. It's just like going back to get their BSN. Yes. Huh. Yes. And, but. but I mean, I'm, I'm proud. You know, I'm not like, I'm, I'm happy. You know, I went to a school that, that had one of the first doctors to offer for occupational therapy at an entry-level degree. Okay. Um, you know, I do feel like, you know, I, I put the work in. And you there did. Was, you know, there was still a lot of time and energy. However, like I told you, I would never have the audacity to think that, you know, coming out of school and if I, let's say, went to any setting and someone had a bachelor's or a master's in OT that I, you know, knew more just because I had oh, a doctor. Okay, you know okay. what I mean? Never, never. Um, and there is, I, I think I told you that controversy in the industry because PT is now terminated into a doctorate. So when you go to PT school, you will have a doctorate degree. This is not optional. So back then when my mom was going, it, it did terminate a bachelor's and then, you know, then you can maybe get your master's. And now, but now it's, Completely, you will have a doctorate as a physical therapist. Excuse me, as a physical therapist. Occupational therapy is not the same. There was a goal. I believe it was by 2025 they wanted it to be like PT, where if you go to OT school, you will end in a doctorate. So um, that is not the case yet. Um, when I started, there was only five entry-level programs, I believe, one to five entry-level OT doctorate programs. Granted, there are more post-professional doctorate programs for people to go back, yeah. but... Um, you can still terminate in a master's in occupational therapy. Are there different tiers to salaries with respect to your level of education? In the school base, yes. Okay. So um, our, we have lane and steps, and we have a higher pay lane for having a doctorate degree. Interesting. Yeah, as a, as a paramedic, it's not even an, it's an associate's. And so I wonder if they turned it into like at least a bachelor's or something, and like you know you got to think about all the other classes you put into it to turn it into a bachelor's. But if it would bring like a certain amount of validity to the profession, and at the same time, I've met amazing paramedics that never went to college and they just became a paramedic. They you know got became an EMT at eighteen, went straight to paramedic school, and they're doing what they love to do. Right. Not might not be making you know the money that you. Should be making yeah. right, yeah. right, and then you think. Um, so, like, what I'm saying, I guess, education doesn't always correlate to the an excellent product or an excellent service. I agree, um, but there's truth to like the amount of money you can be making, yes. depending on how much education you have. Yes, and unfortunately, just what you said, it seems to 
add respect the yeah. more education that you have. And and I agree with you. You there are probably a lot of if you love the job, a lot of the the people that you teach, they're gonna they're gonna do just as well on the job as somebody who had more education. It's, I just yeah. I just don't know that more education always does equal a yeah, I don't but know. But there's debates. If I, I always looked at my the Facebook comments of certain OT like okay, and I know when I was in OT school, I think we were really told about how to defend our doctrine. Unfortunately, I'm like, what? What was our? What was the arguments? Um, so people were trying to take it away. No, no, no. I oh. mean, defending it in terms of like making everyone like at that level. So yeah. So well, the argument I think if everyone has a doctorate, then how? Like, what's the? Then why even go for a doctor? Why you know? Why is everyone? Oh. you're just everyone's. Yeah. You know, then what? <laughs> <laughs> but I think also um, like everyone would be grandfathered in but I think there's also people on the yes. flip side like not like like my mom but are just like oh like you got a doctor why'd you get a doctor you could have got a master you know and I think it's also learning how to defend and, and why why you got a doctorate but oh. don't ask me to defend oh. myself it's more of like I was very <laughs> fortunate um, to just I you know went for it and got accepted into this program yeah and, and this is just kind of the path that happened. And I'm, I'm proud. I am. I'm no, happy. yeah, you guys are doing great work. Thank you. Um, that's all I had, guys. Do you have any Good. questions at all or anything no. you want to add? Maybe just a... Yeah. What's the title of the book? So I don't know if the camera can see it. Okay. What's Wrong With You? By, by Nancy and Catherine Rivalonte. Um, Should I read the back of the... Please do, yeah. yeah. Okay. The authors have experienced or witnessed a child who looks or acts differently being asked, what's wrong with you? Although the intent may not be malicious, this question can be hurtful for the child who has a physical, cognitive, emotional, or sensory challenge. The purpose of the book is to raise awareness of the capabilities of children with diverse abilities. This book will educate children on interacting with a person who moves, looks, or acts differently. Children, students of diverse needs and abilities are still capable and desire the same experience in life as their peers. The authors would like to illustrate what others may perceive as a children's weaknesses can actually be their gifts to us all. That's awesome. Is there something you'd like to add? No, oh, I just want to thank Victor. This has been great. It's been an honor. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. And can we find it anywhere besides Amazon? Yes. So right now, this book, What's Wrong With You, is as well as Amazon, but it's on Apple, mm -hmm. Apple Books, and Barnes and Noble. Are we going to get an audio version eventually? <laughs> I know. There's so I'm like I want to get an adaptive version. But it's, it, it's and... so visual too. It's it's interesting how how that could be. Yes. Um, and we also would really like to get into smaller locally owned businesses and bookstores as well, yeah. um, and, you know, bookstores in the community. We would like to get this out as much as we can, and especially into schools. I think this is perfect for classrooms, perfect for parents. And, um, oh, the illustrator, Luis Castillo. Yeah. He is a special education teacher that I work with at uh, one of my schools. So we that's another little special touch to the book is you have a mother-daughter physical therapy, occupational <laughs> therapy duo yeah. with a special education teacher who illustrated. Uh, so, <laughs> so it's great. Well, a huge congrats, guys. Um, thanks for coming on. I think I got a lot of value. I, I hope the listeners got a lot of value out of this. I hope so too. Thank you. Um, for thank you, Victor. No, it's huge. Like we talked about before, like a lot of people still don't know the distinction between the two. Oh. I, although there's a lot of overlap, there's still some nuances there uh, are. that separate the two. Um, but continue doing good work. Good thank luck you. with the fall. Yes. <laughs> Thanks. Yes. Um, but I hope, you know, don't, and you won't, but like lose hope in that sense of like fulfillment. Although we miss that and need that human 
connection. Yes. Um, it's it's more for them than for us, right? It's more for like the, the students. Yes, <laughs> right? yes, so yes. Whatever is in their best interest. Exactly. <laughs> yes. it, it's, that's exactly it. It's, and just keep in mind that people with disabilities still desire the same things that we all want out of life, you know, to participate, to have friends, to have meaningful relationships, to yeah. feel fulfilled and like with having a purpose. It's really what everyone wants. Yeah. So just because... Again, you look or act or think differently does not mean that's not a desire. Right, right. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you guys. Um, I'll see you in the next episode. <laughs>